Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. The series we're in is Living in the Future, and I don't know if you've ever stopped and really thought about how futuristic our lives really are. I mean, even just on the calendar, we're in 2022. That sounds futuristic in and of itself. And in fact, I read this week that somebody nerdier than I, believe it or not, uh, went through and actually did the math and figured out that George Jetson will be born this year. So he like watched episodes and like calculated. I think he goes to the doctor one time and they say, you'll live for the next 104 years. And from that, they like backwards did the math or something. But uh, in July or August of this year, little George Jetson will be born. So if you know any Jetsons and they're expecting, <laughs> let them know George is a good name. Uh, if you want to change your name, you do you. But like somewhere out there, the future is arriving this year. George Jetson will be born. Uh, but seriously, I think that there's some really incredible innovation that does exist in our world right now. Anybody remember this delicious uh, theme park snack, Dippin' Dots? Any fans here? No, not so much. I feel like it's a very polarizing thing, Dippin' Dots, but do you remember their slogan? It's ice cream of the future, and it's here. And I went on way too long of a rabbit trail this week in uh, talk preparation, reading about how Dippin' Dots actually were not the ice cream of the future, that it was kind of a failed slogan, uh, because the way that Dippin' Dots are made is very futuristic. It's cryogenic freezing, and they like flash freeze the ice cream into the little delicious pellets. But the problem with the business is they didn't figure out a way that you can enjoy it from the comfort of your home. And this is just free information, but uh, most residential freezers, the lowest they go is kind of like zero degrees Fahrenheit because it doesn't really have a lot of food benefits. Far below that, unless you're trying to keep Dippin' Dots frozen because they need to stay frozen at 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So unfortunately, uh, they're like kind of regulated to theme parks. I think the company like went bankrupt in 2012 and they're trying to make it happen still. And if you want to help them out, and you love Dippin' Dots, I also learned this week that you can order Dippin' Dots directly to your home. You get 30 servings. It comes in dry ice, so it arrives nice and deliciously frozen. But remember, your freezer cannot store it, so you have to eat it all in one setting. So somebody loves Dippin' Dots, and that was worth the price of admission right there. They're like, I'm having a Dippin' Dots party. Now I know. Um, I was also thinking about just, again, the amazing ingenuity of people and, and pe the way we're figuring out new ways to live. Uh, and there was this meme that went around a few years back where people would celebrate the creativity of people in our world by saying, like, it was 2017, the year that they kind of started these memes. But they'd say, man, we're living in 2017, but they're living in 3017. And uh, here's a couple examples of the amazing things people can do. I talk about living in 3017. This guy has it figured out. He put a sports bottle lid on his chocolate milk. So he could just like chug from the jug and do his thing. So again, that's free if you want to do that. Uh, it's about to be mowing season. Maybe you've gotten your first mower to you in. This guy uh, upgraded the push mower to the Segway mower, which is not safe and does not look any cooler because you can't look cool on a Segway. Uh, it's just a thing. But uh, all of us, I think, have done this innovation, or if not, you should. That little uh, container, right, change collector, more like chicken McNuggie holder. Right? That's what it's there for. And if you're like me, you've used it to hold chicken McNuggies and all kinds of uh, fast food 
goodness. But in all seriousness, I, I do love thinking about the future. Uh, I shared last week that even as a kid, I felt like I was always looking forward to the next thing. I didn't realize that I had peaked in kindergarten. And I was like, man, I really want to get to middle school. And then I got to middle school and I was like, I really want to get out of here. <laughs> and, and so we went on to high school and then it was like driving and, and dating and all that good stuff I was looking forward to. And, and then there was college that I was excited for. And we all kind of do that at points in life, don't we? We look forward to what's next. Um, I can remember getting really into just the concept of the future. Uh, when I was a kid, I learned about a new career path uh, in the church that I grew up in. They actually hired a consultant to come in uh, to basically talk about what the church of the future could look like and uh, just to try and help their church be effective and, and move forward. And uh, this guy was like branded as a futurist, which is a career path you can have. And basically you just get people to pay you to say, here's what I think might happen. And it seemed like an ideal situation to me because you could be wrong. Right? You're paying them in the present for what might happen in the future. It sounds amazing, but here I am as a pastor instead. Uh, when we're talking about living in the future, we're not talking about George Jetson or some kind of spooky, like, predict the future way of living. But rather, we started this conversation on Easter Sunday because we believe that what happened to Jesus on Easter Sunday wasn't meant to just be this one-time event that we celebrate one time a year with bunnies and chocolate and all that good stuff. But it was actually this incredible moment where God's future like the trajectory that he has our entire world on, actually broke into the present. That that day that we look forward to where scripture tells us there will be a new heavens and a new earth and everything will be set right, that that same power is what broke into human history when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And because of that, it changed everything. That the resurrection actually changed everything for everyone. And uh, I love how theologian uh, N.T. Wright talks about it. He says at Easter, Jesus came to us from God's future, from the new world which God has begun to make. And in baptism, we become a part of that same future. And in confirmation, we stand up and say, yes, I am a part of God's future world, and I pray for God's spirit to help me make it a reality in my life and the world around me. N.T. Wright is Anglican, so he's talking about things like confirmation and baptism, but essentially what he's getting at is that God started something in Jesus, and Jesus' followers are called to be a part of it as well, that we're meant to be this taste of the future where God will set everything right. We're supposed to bring that future into our present life. And that's what started to happen following the very first Easter, right? Jesus' disciples didn't like celebrate at the empty tomb and then just go back to life as normal in the next days. But that first Easter Sunday completely changed the trajectory of their lives. It, it completely altered the course of their lives as they became the people who led this movement that we now know as the church. And to be honest with you, I want to kind of live in the future of this series and like jump to where we're going to go next week because next week we're going to talk about what it looks like outwardly for us to participate in some of the incredible redemptive things God is doing in the world, for us to actually uh, solve real problems and be contributors to the good of society. But uh, before we get there, last week we actually talked about how in order for us to step into God's future, for us to live in the future, we have to be willing to let go of our past. We have to actually receive the gift of forgiveness and practice that gift with everybody that we meet as well. That we can't step into God's future dragging all of our baggage from the past with us. And the way that we free ourselves is actually by experiencing forgiveness. And uh, today what we're going to talk about is kind of in between those two things. Letting go of your past and living out outwardly God's future. Because today I want to talk about how we live God's future in our inner world. Uh, how we actually step into God doing something new in us before we ever step out and see God do something through us. And uh, to be honest, it is a slower, less flashy topic than what I want to talk about next week. Uh, but the reality is, following Jesus' resurrection, this incredible movement started. 
And if you can remember Easter Sunday a few weeks ago, we talked about how Mary Magdalene, this woman who had a past and a reputation, was standing outside of Jesus' empty tomb, and she saw who she thought was the gardener. And she turned and she asked the gardener, hey, what have they done with Jesus? Like, where, where did they take him? Because they thought that somebody had just stolen the body. But the gardener actually turns, and uh, the gardener says her name. He says, Mary. And in that moment, Mary recognizes that's not just the gardener. That's Jesus himself. The resurrected Jesus is standing there. And so I can imagine she has this moment of joy. She, she celebrates this miracle that's happened, and she runs up, and she embraces Jesus. And then Jesus says something kind of unusual. He kind of kills the moment, and he says back to Mary, hey, don't cling to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. Or in other words, he's saying, don't expect things to go back to the way that they were. I'm still doing something new. And that's exactly what happens as the narrative moves forward. There's an entire book of the Bible called the Book of Acts that is essentially the origin story of the movement known as the church. It's like the backstory to how the whole thing got started on the other side of the resurrection. And in fact, it starts out by giving us a sense of what Jesus was up to in those days after rising from the dead. It says in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 3, that during the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So Jesus did these incredible things. There's accounts of him uh, showing up in surprising ways, walking down the road with people and getting them to turn around and re-engage in the work that God was doing. He has breakfast with his friends on the beach and kind of restores some of the broken relationships there. But all along the way, he's talking about this thing called the kingdom of God. He's talking about God's future breaking into the present moment, that the kingdom that one day will be fully realized here on earth has started being built again in our present world. And, and this uh, moment kind of culminates at Jesus' ascension. When he gathers his followers on, on a hill and, and he gets in front of them and he basically gives them his parting words and his parting assignment. And he casts this vision about what they were going to be a part of and what we're invited to be a part of today. He says this, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And really, it's this compelling vision. I mean, these guys... There's like 11 of them there. We at least know there may have been more, but, but he casts this picture. They don't know where the ends of the earth are. But imagine in that moment, Jesus understood the mission that he was handing to them includes us today, that this movement known as the church was going to spread out over generations and generations and throughout nations and ultimately saturate our world, and that even today as we talk about living life the way God wants us to live, we're a part of that instruction that Jesus gave before he left this earth. It's incredible to think about. And uh, this moment, it's also recorded in Matthew's account of Jesus's life. Uh, typically, we refer to this version of the story as the Great Commission. It's, it's the marching orders for the local church, essentially. And, and here's what Jesus said. He came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, it's a remarkable thing, right? Uh, his disciples at the moment were thinking, like, this might be the time that Jesus just restores God's kingdom right there and right now, but instead Jesus says, all of the authority has been given to me, right? I have the power of heaven and earth at my disposal, and I'm handing the keys to you. And your job as my followers 
is to go into the world and make disciples, make followers of Jesus along the way. And again, it's this incredible thing that we're a part of. It's this thing that we need to take seriously as a group of Jesus followers, as a local church. But there's kind of a tension, I think, that exists in our world as it relates to this topic. Because to be honest, too often, especially in recent days, and by recent I mean like the past 50 to 100 years, the church has fallen into this habit of taking the idea of making disciples and treating it as if the command was to make converts, right? That, that our job is to get people to agree with Jesus or, or cross a line of faith, maybe even to say a, a specific prayer and make a decision to follow Jesus. But often we miss out on the deeper work of the actual following Jesus part of the equation. In fact, sometimes we can talk about growing in terms of growing churches, growing church attendance and church buildings and filling them up, rather than talking about having a growing faith ourselves. And I want to be crystal clear, I have no problem with the local church growing. In fact, I think it's a beautiful thing, and I told the first service, like when I look out at a room and I see empty seats, I think those are sacred, because someday I can imagine the person who's going to fill that seat, who doesn't yet know the story of God and how God loves them and how he can change their life. And so the growing the church is, is a beautiful thing, but it's not everything. It's not about people sitting in seats. It's not about attendance, and it's not about just saying a magic prayer or anything like that. But in fact, uh, Jesus actually used a deeper metaphor for what God wants to do in and through us. And uh, when he walked this earth, he said it a few times. Uh, specifically, he talked about it in a conversation with a Pharisee, a religious leader of his day, named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was kind of scandalously meeting with Jesus and trying to figure out what Jesus was all about and what the kingdom of God really meant. And at one point along the way, Jesus phrases it like this. He says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Again, this is a powerful idea that the church has grabbed onto. Maybe you've even heard somebody in a church context before talk about being a born again believer. We've taken this idea of being born again, being made new, right? There's even some resurrection language tied up in that, of this renewal, this new life that can happen in us. Unfortunately, we've taken that language and often turn that into meaning that we convert to Christianity, that we pray a certain prayer, that we cross a line of faith, and, and it became this whole thing about uh, just trying to reach people. And again, I'm not against reaching people. It's a beautiful thing. But what I hope you can see today is that it's only part of what Jesus wanted for us. It's only a piece of the equation. And just like Jesus talked about us being born again, he also expects us and longs for us to grow. Like, think about if you're a parent or, or you know a parent, you walked with somebody through the journey uh, of becoming a parent, there's both things, right? There's that moment of birth, and it's intense, and it's crazy, and it's this beautiful thing, right, where, where we celebrate. There's so much joy in the room after a baby is delivered, and it's this miracle that happens. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to any of us, right, that it's even possible, and it, and it all works, and it's such a joyful experience. We send out announcements when somebody's born. We at least make a Facebook post, right? Like, look at my amazing baby. This is incredible. People give you gifts. We throw parties. There's this celebration that happens when new life is found. And then you go home, right? And, and like, if you're a parent or, again, you've been around a parent, you go home without an instruction manual. And, and you, like, walk in there and you're like, what now, right? That was intense. I'm still sleepy. And little do you know what's about to come, right? Because there's the whole growing up part of being a parent. Your, your child, uh, suddenly, you're confronted with sleepless nights, right, and fatigue, and confusion, and, and like, 
those frantic calls to the doctor where you're like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? And like, they're being a baby, right? It's normal. But you're freaking out because you're like, I've never done this before and they didn't tell me how to do it. And it seems like it should be harder, right? But like, here I am raising a human and it doesn't really go away, does it? As your kids grow older, it just changes where now you're having other conversations about discipline and, and character and what it looks like. Uh, I mean, gosh, they ask questions, don't they? I have a three-year-old. Like, <laughs> it's all questions all the time. And eventually those three-year-old questions grow up and become teenager questions. And you're like, I don't want to answer those questions, right? And, and it comes with a teenager attitude. And there's this whole journey of being a parent. It's not just about that birth moment, but it's about birth and growth. It's about the celebration of the moment, but it's also about the long-haul journey uh, of trying to raise somebody up into maturity. And I'm going to make a tremendously risky statement the week before Mother's Day that I need to be heard in the right context, okay? Because it's about the metaphor Jesus was doing uh, of birth and of growth. Uh, but the thing that I want you to see today is this. In that context, birth is quick and easy, right? Moms, I know, it's not. But, but birth is quick and easy, but growth is endless and complex. I almost said the thing that happens nine months before birth is quick and easy, but that's a different topic for a different day. Uh, The point is, it's easy to to make a decision, right? It's amazing to celebrate new birth and new life, but growth, it takes time and it's messy and it's complicated and it's a long haul kind of thing. And too often what I think can happen in the church is we focus on the new birth. We focus on the conversion, that moment of decision. We focus on church growth and numbers, and we celebrate it like crazy, and we do an amazing job, but we ignore the call to growth and to maturity. We ignore the call to actually be remade in Jesus' image over the whole of the rest of our life. And when we miss that part of the equation, we end up at best producing immature Christians, right? Christians who stay like little babies, who don't learn how to feed themselves and, and make an impact in the world. And maybe even at worst, we create a version of Christianity that looks nothing like Christ at all, where people maybe show up and they sit in a seat, but when you look at the fruit of their lives, it looks nothing like Jesus. And Eugene Peterson, who's a pastor and an author, he's a great thinker, uh, highlighted this moment for us and talked about this tension in this way. He says, the American church runs on the euphoria and the adrenaline of new birth, getting people into the church into the kingdom, into causes, into crusades, and into programs, and we turn matters of growing up over to Sunday school teachers and specialists in Christian education, committees to revise curriculum, retreat centers, and deeper life conferences, farming it out to parachurch groups for remedial assistance. I know he used some big words in there, but basically he's saying that like churches have a tendency to celebrate that evangelistic thing, that reaching people thing, that moment where somebody makes a decision, But then we just kind of try and outsource all the growth and development on the other side of it. And our church isn't immune to that either, right? We can fall into the trap of of the shallow celebration that somebody made a decision in a moment, but then not give them the support that they need to actually grow and live out that decision in the days ahead. And when we do that, we miss out on the work that God calls us to do. We miss out on the opportunity to actually live and build God's kingdom right here and right now. So today, I'm gonna give you the punchline a little early Uh, What I hope you can see today is that this choice to live in God's future, it's not just meant to be this one-time decision. It's actually about allowing your inner world to be shaped by God daily, for you to be renewed daily by Jesus, or to give you the bottom line, it's that living in God's future means allowing Jesus to remake your inner world, to remake you as a person, to recreate you in his image. And this challenge 
isn't just a new challenge for us in 2022, living in the future, but the early church communities constantly wrestled with what does it mean to live out the implications of Jesus' resurrection? What does it mean for us to live in a new creation? What does it mean for us to be a part of the new thing that God is doing? And in his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul, who was a church planter in the first century, actually gave them a clue, and I think gives us a clue today, about what it can look like for our inner life to be transformed by God. He says this, says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's another translation uh, that says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And the thing that Paul is getting at, the reason why this is a big deal for us today, if you want to be a person who participates in God's kingdom, who's a part of what God is doing in the world, this is a big deal because Paul is bumping into this principle that I would call the consistency effect. And the consistency effect is simply this. It's that small things over time lead to big things. And this is a principle, this is an effect that impacts us whether we like it or not and whether it's for good or for bad. Like on the negative sense, right? Small bad decisions can lead to really big problems over time. If you just eat junk all the time, you can get away with it a little bit, right? You can have a cheat day, you can go get the burger, you can do your thing. But if you only eat that over a long haul, you're gonna have some health problems. This is how addictions happen, right? It's a little thing, it's a small thing in a moment, but then it becomes a big thing over time and it can become this trap that people fall into. Relationships can happen like this, right? Nobody wakes up and they're like, today's the day I'm gonna ruin my relationship but rather over time, intimacy drifts, right? Conflict isn't dealt with, and and over time, those little things can become big things along the way. Most of our big ethical dilemmas in the world aren't caused by sinister people doing like big heinous things. It's caused by everyday ordinary people doing the wrong little thing over and over and over and over again. But the same thing can be true on the positive side. Right, we all have at least heard this, that like if you go to the gym and you exercise for like 30 minutes a day every day, that's a good thing. That will give you benefits over the long haul. That seems like a small thing, but it can lead to a big thing. As it relates to your finances, if you save a little bit over a long time, it can become a big thing due to the miracle of compounding interest. Uh, And in fact, there's an author who wrote a book kind of about this uh, concept, and he talked about what he called the latte effect, that if you imagine that maybe you spend Uh, $3.50 every week on a latte. Uh, He basically said, what if you took, I know that's ridiculous, they're way more expensive, but track with me. (laughs) If you did that, and instead of buying the latte, if for 30 years you invested your $3.50 into like a decent mutual fund that maybe gives you a 6% interest rate back, then at the end of those 30 years, your $3.50 could grow into $106,000. You're like, man, I don't even like lattes. I'm doing it, right? But the point is these little things over time can lead to big things. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says don't conform to the pattern of this world, right? Don't drift into the way everybody else is doing things because we never drift in good directions. And in fact, that idea of being conformed, it's like being pressed into a mold, right? Being shaped in a certain way. And it's so easy for us to drift into being shaped by the kingdom of this world, rather than being transformed and renewed by the power of God and the kingdom of God at work in this world. And this happens, again, not in big, crazy ways, but most often in our lives, this happens in small little ways over the long haul. I love how the message translation of this passage puts it. Uh, They say it in this way. They say, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. 
Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. That's a whole talk right in a sentence. Right? Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, he goes on, he says, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. When we talk about stepping into what God wants for us, that's it in a nutshell right there. That we live in a world that's constantly gonna tempt us to be lesser and lesser and lesser, right? To take the easy way out, to, to give in to some of our baser impulses. A and the Spirit of God is saying, no, 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 no. Connect with me. Like, I made you and I'm remaking you and I wanna shape you and grow you into maturity over the long haul. But man, this idea of conforming rather than being transformed, the church is not immune to it. In fact, I would say in really public platformed ways right now in our world, the church in too many ways has conformed to the patterns of this world rather than being transformed from the inside out. And this is what happened, I believe, when a lot of well-intentioned Jesus followers thought that, man, we need to influence our culture, and we certainly do. Right? Well-intentioned Jesus followers believe we need to make a big influence in this world, and I believe that too. But the way that we went about it was by grabbing onto power in our world. And I think what we've seen play out time and time again is that principle that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And as we tried to engage in the tactics of the kingdoms of this world, we found ourselves practicing the very same problems of the kingdoms of this world, right? We were conformed to the culture rather than being transformed. And this is why we can see so many problems inside of the church movement. Right? So many of these things, these abuses of power, these scandals, these things that show up along the way. And, and to be honest with you, this is a big deal for me as a pastor because there's a watching world that is tired of it. They see us doing these things and they think they're just like everyone else and I don't want any part of it. Right? Why would I wrap a religious banner around the same practices that I don't like in non-religious people? Uh, when we choose to leverage the tactics of this world to try and influence this world, we miss out on the transforming power of God at work in our world. Uh, or maybe to put that a little more simply, I believe for us today, if you wanna be a part of what God is doing in the world, combating culture is so much lesser than cultivating character, right? Getting on Facebook and telling everybody what you think and putting God's name on it, that's easy, that's cheap, and it wins over no one. <laughs> but living out a different kind of life just might compel someone to ask why. It just might compel someone to wonder why you're so different than everybody else. Uh, there's a, a pastor, friar actually, named Richard Rohr, who uh, made this statement one time that the best criticism of the lesser is the practice of the better. That the best way that we can criticize the things that we don't like is to actually practice something better and, and to actually raise people up and inspire them to something better rather than just putting them down. And man, I think that's what the church is supposed to look like. We're supposed to be a group of people, broken as we are, who come together and we create this community of grace based on the forgiveness that we've received, and then we allow ourselves to be transformed from the inside out. We allow ourselves to be shaped by the Spirit of God at work in us, creating character in us, and only then do we outflow and influence the people around us. But it starts with God at work inside of me, 
and inside of you. And, and please hear me right today. I'm not perfect at this. Right? I'm not saying like, come be like me. I hope if anything, what you hear from me, it's come be like me as I try to be like Jesus. Right? That's the best that I can give you. But really what I'm saying is let the Spirit of God work in you to transform you. Or as the Apostle Paul talked about in another letter to a church in Ephesus, he was actually talking about the role of guys like me, pastors. And he said that the job of a pastor isn't to do everything. Like this isn't really my job, but that the job of the pastor is to give the people what they need to live out God's call on their life. So my job is to like give you the tools you need to be the person God is calling you to be. And we're all supposed to do that together. And he goes on after saying that, and he says this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try and trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. What a concept, right? Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And man, I bring that up today because I believe that's possible for us. I still believe that's possible in our world, that there could be a movement of people who aren't compelled by their own interests, but they're shaped by the Spirit of God at work in them to look out for the interests of others, to actually be this taste of heaven right here on earth. This is what God desires for us. He wants us to consistently choose to grow more and more in the image and in the likeness of Jesus. And this may be a hard truth for some of us today, so buckle up. But if you're not growing, you just might not be following Jesus, right? If you're not being challenged, if you're not being stretched, if you're not like working it out and figuring out what it looks like to live like Jesus in your everyday ordinary life, you might not actually be following him. You might admire him, you might agree with him, you might show up every week and sit in the seat, but if you're not growing in that relationship, if you're not being challenged and being stretched, then you may not actually be following Jesus. You may just be admiring him along the way because the process of growth, more often than not, doesn't look like a smile on a Sunday. It's often messy and it's complex and it's difficult and it takes a long time and that's why often we don't like it. But it's the very thing that leads to new life. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the new renewing of your mind. Right, but by spending time allowing God to shape and to change your mind. And I think that happens when we start to believe what's possible for us is what God says is possible. That we could actually become these kinds of people along the way. And listen, I know like in this conversation, we're talking fast and we're talking way up here. Okay, like what do you want me to live in God's future by having my mind renewed? Like how do I actually do that? What does this actually look like? Like what does God think is possible for me? The good news is the Apostle Paul took out a lot of the guesswork for us uh, because he wrote another letter to a church in the region of Galatia. And, and in that letter, he talked about what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is at work producing good fruit in us, when he's actually shaping us and molding us. And here's what he says. He says, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, if you grew up in church, you probably have heard that before. It's this famous verse. You may have even heard it in a song before, right, so that you could remember it. It's got this nursery rhyme character to it. But the thing is, it's a famous verse that's often quoted. It's this ideal that maybe we heard about growing up. But if we look at our world today, if we look at the people around us, if we look at maybe even ourselves, if we're honest, 
Sometimes I think we tend to practice in our own lives what Paul talked about a couple of verses earlier when he says that when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. How about these? Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. Have we seen any of that in our world recently? Right? Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Doesn't that list sound a lot like the leaders and the people who are scandalizing our world right now? And here's the point. It's because we have too often allowed ourselves to be conformed to the patterns of this world rather than being transformed, rather than letting God do his work in us before we try and do anything out in our world. Right? Too often we drift into this because we forget that there is a daily choice in front of us. There is a daily choice in front of us or where we can drift into the rut of our culture. We can drift into the routine, right? You can get on Facebook and you can drop the comment in. You might even get some likes and it'll feel good. Like, like we can all fall into that or you can daily be renewed into the possibility of God. You can be daily reminded of, of what God says is possible of you and of your life. And, and here's the point again. It's that God needs to remake our inner world before we see him moving in our outer world. That, that God needs to do something in us before he really does something through us along the way. And Paul sums up what we've been talking about these past two weeks earlier in this letter to the church in Galatia. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. That's what we talked about last week, right? I, I've been forgiven. I've been set free from that past that I keep trying to drag with me. My old self has been crucified in Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? That's a daily thing. He, he's saying every day I wake up and instead of dragging my past with me, what we talked about last week, I let that go. I receive that gift of forgiveness and instead I live by trusting in Jesus at work in me so then he can work through me. And so here's the point. Here's the question that I want you to wrestle with today. If you're serious about wanting to be a part of what God is doing in the world, if you really want to be on the solution side of this world instead of be a contributor to the problems of this world, then here's a question for you. What if you intentionally prioritize practices that would renew your mind? What if you made it a priority to actually create space where God might move and God might transform you? Because to be honest, I think for most of us, we drift into the pattern and the rut and the routine of this world because we're just so busy, we don't even take time to slow down and consider what we're doing. And that's what being conformed looks like, right? You just press into the mold and you don't even think about it. But instead, we've been invited to allow God to change the way we think, to shape us and to mold us and to remake us from the inside out. And so here's what I would challenge you. We're actually in the season or about to step into the season of summer, right? Where a lot of our regular routines and rhythms kind of get turned around. We go on vacations. Maybe we take off for the weekend or you know, maybe you're a teacher and you get the summers off or whatever that looks like. Our rhythms normally kind of change around this time of the year as school ends and, and we take a break. What if for the next couple of months or even just the next few weeks, what if you took that list that Paul gave us about the fruits of the spirit, about what it looks like when God's spirit is shaping and molding and creating a, a person in a new way? And what if you chose to focus on it? Right? What if you picked a fruit of the spirit and you chose to focus on it intentionally for the next couple of weeks or, or even a couple of months? What if you said like, hey, 
I'm not gonna just fall into the rut and the routine and be conformed to the pattern of this world. That happens by default. That, that's easy for all of us, right? To just check out and drift and find ourselves somewhere we don't wanna be down the road. But what if we weren't like that? But if instead, to be a part of what God is doing in the world, we said, no, I'm gonna intentionally focus on who God is saying it's possible that I could become. We'll put that list back up on the screen so you can think about it for a second. Like, what if you picked one, whether it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control? What if you were like, man, I mean, honestly, right now, look at the list. Is there one that you feel kind of weak in right now, if you're honest? Like, is there one where you're like, man, I'm, I'm lacking in this area? Uh, maybe it's patience, right? You've just realized, like, I'm a little wound tight right now, and I'm just snapping like that, and I don't have the patience that I need. Uh, maybe for you, that's the word. And you're like, man, for these next couple of weeks, these next couple of months, I'm going to put patience in front of me every day. And and I'm going to spend some time maybe asking God, God, will you create more patience in me? Will you help me be a more patient person? You could really go next level and you could tell a friend about it, right? You could have the courage to pick a word and tell somebody that it's your word. Like summer's coming and I need some self-control. And you could tell them and you could say like, help me out, right? I'm trying to grow in this. and, And so here's what I'm doing and will you help me? You could get people around you who support you in this journey, but here's the point. We won't become the people God's wanting us to be on accident. We won't conform into holiness or or, or fruits of the Spirit. We have to intentionally allow God to work in us, to be shaped into his likeness. And and so we have to make it a priority. And, And before God moves through us, I believe wholeheartedly that he moves in us, that he wants to remake us from the inside out. And when we allow him to reshape us, to renew our minds, to bring some resurrection in us, then we'll have our eyes open to participate in the new life and the resurrection that's happening all around us. If you want to see the work of God in the world, it has to start in your world. If you want to see the move of God, if you want to step into God's future, it has to impact you first. It has to shape you first. And uh, man, just for a second, like we're going to Uh, actually sing a song here at the end. You guys can stay seated during it. Uh, What we want to do is give you some space where you can actually think about, like, man, where do I need to grow? What would it look like for me to choose to be renewed or create the space where God could move uh, over the next few weeks or even few months? But just really quick before we do that, could you imagine what it would be like if we actually did this? Right, like, even in this room, I don't know, 60, 70-something people, I don't know how many of us there are, but, like, imagine if all of us became people that when they looked at our lives, they said, oh yeah, there's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control and faithfulness, right? Gentleness. Like, can you imagine what that would be like if this many people in this community started actually living that out? People would whip their heads around. They'd be like, they're weird. What's happening? They're not angry like us, right? They're not posting like us. They're not politicizing like us, whatever you want it to be. Right? It would be this different new thing happening in our world, exactly like it was when Jesus rose from the dead and he launched this movement of people who were not of the world, but they loved the world by the way that they carried themselves, by the way that they carried the presence of God. I believe it's still possible, friends. I'm kind of banking my life on it being possible. And so what we're going to do is give you some space to consider what God may want to make possible in you in this next season. And this song simply asks the question or invites us to behold what love can do in our lives, to imagine the power of love at work in us. 
And that's what I want to invite you to do over these next few moments. So take a second and we'll respond together. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.